Hello everyone, my name is GT Wistersill and I'm excited to welcome you to another edition of the From the Stands podcast. On today's show, we are going to be hitting on some big news around the NFL, talking about the NBA All-Star starters and some other big news around the league. I know last week I originally said I was going to hit on the NFL, all the head coach hirings, but I forgot the All-Star game is coming up. They're naming the starters tonight, so we got to touch on that. I got a big thing on who I think the starters could be, and I don't think there'll be too many surprises, but definitely got to hit on that. But there's only one place to start this show, and it's one of the advantages of recording a little later this week for me, is I get to include the Carson Wentz trade. We get to hit on it this week instead of a week later. So Wentz was traded to the Colts in exchange for a 2021 third-round pick and a conditional 2022 second-round pick. But that second-round pick could become a first in 2022, depending on Wentz's health and how many games he plays. He has to play, I believe, it's 75% of the team's snaps, and or basically just leading to the playoffs, honestly, and then they get their first-round pick, which I think is a great deal for the Colts because you expect if Wentz is playing good football, you're going to be in the playoffs. I think he's that's the missing piece for this team. He's a quarterback. So let's look. Let's take a look at Carson Wentz. So obviously, it went awful this year. And we, if we look at the past of Wentz, I think the biggest thing this year compared to his past years was the offensive line. I mean, the past few years, he's had one of the best offensive lines in the league. But this year, start out the year, you lose one of the best guards in the league in Brandon Brooks. Lane Johnson missed almost the entire year at right tackle for them. He's one of the better right tackles in the league. Jason Kelsey was still pretty good, but he wasn't, he, you can tell he's fallen off a little bit. He was drafted in 2011, so we're coming up on 10 years for the old Grizzly vet. And Jason Peters, I mean, it just at left tackle. There was a reason this guy was not signed by a lot of teams and was waiting around on the free agent market for a while. He doesn't have it anymore. They could have used Andre Dillard, their first-round pick who was going to start at left tackle coming out of Washington State two years ago. He got hurt, so they had to move Peters to left tackle instead of signing him to be a guard. So this is an awful offensive line. He was sacked 50 times the most of his career, and he threw 15 interceptions. In his past three years, in each of those years, he, he threw seven in each of them. He had three seasons of seven consecutive interceptions, and then this year it ballooned up to 15. I think that was a few things. We hit on one with the protection. Definitely some play calling issues. Doug Peterson and him were not on the same page. We know the receivers were about the same, if a little bit worse than last year. And the other thing, I think, was just the whole Jalen Hurts factor. I don't think he handled that very well, and that's obviously a criticism on Wentz. He should have risen up and taken the challenge, when instead it felt like he was a little more offended and did not handle it very well. So all those things led to his bad play last year. But why was why do you potentially give up? Why do you give up a second or third round pick, which could be a first round pick, for this guy in such a bad year? Because you've seen the flashes of what could be, especially under Frank Wright. When Wentz was going to win the MVP in 2017 before he dove into the end zone versus the Rams or tried to dive into the end zone, and that's when he had that horrible lower leg injury, and that's what ended up derailing his season there and, honestly, most of his career. He, he struggled to get back to that form. He's never quite reached that form where, like I said, I mean, they were the number one seed. He's winning the MVP if he stays healthy. There's really no question in my mind about that. So he was really good there, gets the brutal injury, and who was leading him in that MVP season was Frank Reich. Remember, that's very important, his new head coach and, and the guy who calls the plays in Indianapolis. So then you go to tw 2018, that was the injury year coming off. They let Foles start, but then Foles struggled a little bit. There was this whole back and forth thing. They ended up still getting into the playoffs. It was weird. They started Foles. Foles kind of struggled a little bit, so then they went with Wentz. And then Wentz got hurt again, so they went with Foles down the stretch. Foles got into the playoffs, and that's when they ended up beating the Bears, actually, because of the whole Cody Parker doing things. So that was weird. So then the following year, Foles is a free agent, signs with the Jaguars, massive deal. So then you get Wentz coming in here, 
And Wentz does, this is not a very good offense as we talked about, especially from a weapon standpoint. Yep, he's got Zach Ertz and Goddard was in his first year, so really starting to come along and make plays, but the receivers were all banged up. This was the Greg Ward year where I think Greg Ward led this team in receiving yards and it was Alshon Jeffrey was always hurt. Nelson Aguilar, the drop, the dropping meme, we know what that was all about. That started from this season and he still dragged that, that offense to the postseason. He threw for 4,000 yards and 27 touchdowns. So another really good year. So if you exclude, so he had his rookie year, he was up and down second year MVP year after that dealt with injuries once again, then you get that next year, 2019, he dragged, he helped get that offense to the playoff by playing some huge football, making some incredible throws. And then this year in 2020, he was bad. So it's like, what are you getting? Are you going to bet on that he can be that guy who makes the big time plays, makes the big time throws? That's obviously what they're betting on. And I think it's a smart bet on because like I said, I really think this Colts team is loaded and they were a good quarterback away from being a Super Bowl contender. And I honestly think if they can get that Wentz, that two of those five, four, five years he's been basically, they can get that team. And why I think they're going to get that guy is because of what's in place. They are a run-first football team right now with Jonathan Taylor and a standout offensive line. Also, weapons on the outside, Michael Pittman. We also know that if Paris Campbell can just stay healthy, he's going to be a dominant beast as well. A really good defense is going to create turnovers. And most importantly, a play caller and coach in Frank Wright who really understands how to maximize Carson to his strengths and make him into a great quarterback. So I really like this Colts team. I really like the move for them. And I really think Carson Wentz is going to return to top 10 quarterback form this upcoming NFL season. I had him as one going into this the season we just got through. Obviously, he did not play like one. I think he's going to get back into that range because he's really going to excel with this awesome supporting cast he has around him. So I like the move for the Colts. And it really sounds like this was all that was out there for the Eagles. So more than likely, they are going to be able to get at least one first round pick for Carson Wentz. Now, do I think it's going to be in the 20s and later 20s more than likely? Yeah, but first is a first. So I think they'll be happy with that. If we look at the Eagles perspective of this really quick, the Eagles, now it's Jalen Hurts' team, you'd think, but apparently they want to bring in some competition for Hurts to just to make, just to see if he's start. He was a second round pick for a reason. He was, he had a lot of really good flashes rookie year. Obviously he was really good running the ball, a number of plays there and had some really nice throws, but can he be an elite NFL quarterback? That's kind of the question, the guy you need to win Super Bowls with. So I think it's smart that they're going to bring in some competition. And the guy I would recommend that they bring in is Cam Newton. Yes, he had a rough year in New England, but I think him and Hurts do play a little bit of a similar style right now. At this point in their career, both of those guys are better at running the ball than they are with throwing the ball. I think Cam could be a good mentor to Jalen. And now the question would be, is Cam willing to do that? I don't know, but I just think he would be very similar because you could see the similarities between the two of their games, bigger guys who run the ball really well. So I think that'd be a good person for them to bring in, have Jalen win out the job and Cam can kind of mentor and walk him through it. So that's what I would do with the Eagles. And I do, I like the trade for both sides, but I think a year from now, we'll be talking about how the Colts won this trade. Now, moving over to JJ Watt. How about that? The Houston Texans cut ties with Watt after he asked them to getting off of his $17 million salary he was owed this upcoming season. So, J.J. Watt is still a really productive defensive end. Yes, he only had five sacks last year, but he still is good at getting after the quarterback, really strong in the run game as always. He's not the three-time defensive player of the year anymore, but uh, definitely still a really good starter in this NFL. And I think he is, at this point, he's an elite secondary pass rusher. You got, if he's not going to be the number one guy on a really good pass rushing unit, but if you got him as the second best guy who gets after the quarterback, I think you're in good shape. So let's look at, I got five teams up here that I'm going to run through quickly. One stands out among, amongst the rest that I'm going to run through as I think of the most likely landing spots for Watt. And some of these have been heavily rumored. So I'm sure if you guys have been keeping up with the NFL news, you will have heard of a lot of them. First, let's start with the Browns. 
pairing opposite Miles Garrett, strong interior defensive line. And that's basically just what I said, be the secondary edge rusher. Guys have to worry about Garrett first and then Watt could eat on the outside. I think his scheme fit next to Miles is really good. And I think they would really work well pairing off each other. So I think that's an obvious one. The Bill, Sean McDermott, tough defensive-minded head coach, the team that needs pass rush help. They wouldn't. They could be one of the teams that doles out the most cash to Watt, and they could even say, hey, they could offer maybe a little more playing time than the Browns, depending on what the Browns do with Olivier Vernon. If I'm the Browns, I'm cutting Vernon and bringing in Watt. Just a thought there. But the Bills, you may look at them right now and say, hey, I like their Super Bowl window a little bit better, so I'm going to join the Bills. So I think that's another really good destination. The Tennessee Titans reuniting with his former defensive coordinator, Mike Vrabel. I think that would be a big pairing for him. The Tech Titans are another team. They got to do out, they could do out some cash to Watt because they're another team desperate for pass rush help. I think he could come in and really help this team out. And also he gets to stay in the division. That's a big thing for a lot of guys. If you look throughout the history of when longtime guys, longtime NFL players leave the one team they've been with for a while, Richard Sherman going over and joining the 49ers. Brett Favre coming over for the Vikings. Greg Jennings joining the Vikings. There's just a history of throughout the NFL when some of these older veteran players leave the one team. Gerald McCoy, he went over from the Buccaneers to the Panthers. These guys, they like to stay in the division fresh off the move. So I think Tennessee would make a lot of sense after he's done with the Texans. Also the Packers. This is my least favorite from a scheme fit standpoint, but we know J.J. Watts ties to Wisconsin. He would still fit in here well, I think, and he would definitely help their run defenses, which is something they've been lacking for a while now. So I do think the Packers got a shot. It's probably my least favorite of the ones we've gone over, but you cannot ignore the hometown connection that Watts got with the Green Bay Packers fans. But finally, there's only one that stands above all the rest of these, and I just think it's the clear and most obvious one. I'm not much of a gambling man, but if I was, I'd bet all my money that he's going to go to this place. It's Pittsburgh. When you are at a point that J.J. Watt is at in his career, I, I would leave money on the table. Money does not matter as much. If you can give me, uh, why would I take 15 million, 10 million when I can take 5 million? Remember how much money Watt has made over his career when you factor in endorsements and all the money the Texans play, paid him to play with my brothers. That I just think that'd be such an unbelievable experience. J.J. is super close with his brothers, hosts a damn game show with them, that tag show on Fox earlier. You see him posting about each other all the time. They root for each other's success so hard. Strong bond between T.J., J.J., and Derek they got going on there. I think Watt would be a great fit for the Steelers. I think the Steelers should be begging for him to come, honestly, because the Steelers are hard-capped right now. B.S. Pouncey retired, but Big Ben's coming back, and that is a large cap hit, I believe around $40 million. So if he comes back, Makes it hard to retain Juju and Bud Dupree. Bud Dupree is going to be expensive for this team after back-to-back years of proving, hey, I am this elite. I can be an elite pass rusher in this league. I think a team's going to break the bank for Dupree and pay him upwards of fifteen million dollars. And I think that's when, if you're the Steelers, you got to be like, you know what, we just can't do that. I would rather have, even though it's not a scheme fit, Dupree is much more an outside linebacker and fits in the scheme. I would rather take JJ Watt for five million than Bud Dupree for the fifteen million. It's a ten million dollar difference. And I think if Bud Dupree is maybe a tier two or three pass rusher, if we'll say Dupree's in tier two, I think Watt's a tier three guy at this point. And I think he can still beat guys, NFL players off the edge. You could kick him inside as well. And yes, they, it would hurt their defense a little bit. Like I said, maybe just from a schematic standpoint of they cannot, maybe it's harder to run their three, four, 
because they don't have the linebacker versatility that Dupree provides them when he drops in coverage. But I really think it's a cheaper option. You don't really miss much on the pass rushing standpoint of it. And I think that's the most important thing. You bring in two guys across from each other that can get after the passer. So for the Steelers, I love it. And for J.J. Watt, I just think go play with your brothers, man. It's a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It's something you'll never forget. You'll always look back fondly no matter how it goes. And, of course, the Steelers are still a really good contender, one of the best defenses in the NFL. They're a move or two away on the offensive line, honestly. And even if they bring Ben back, he's still a Hall of Fame quarterback, nowhere near the guy he used to be. But I still think when given better time and protection, this team could easily still make a run in the postseason. So I think it's clearly the Steelers for me. I would genuinely be surprised if it was anywhere else. So that's going to do it for NFL Talk. We got a lot of NBA, though. Particularly, the All-Star starters are going to be revealed tonight, Thursday, on TNT. So by the time most of you guys listen to this, that will have passed. But I believe there's really only two spots, one in the East, one in the West, that are really up for debate that I would be surprised. So I think a lot of these what these predictions, I guess you could say, I'm going to make. I just think these are who's going to be the actual All-Stars. And I know that's how predictions always work. But a lot of these guys are really cut and dry All-Stars to me. And they just stand out amongst their peers when we're talking about the best guys for these five positions so let's get into it with east first up in the backcourt i got bradley beal snubbed from the all-star game last year averaging 30 points per game that's what he averaged last year not this year leads the nba in 30 points per game 47 percent from the field four assists i know the wizards are bad but it's not his fault this team doesn't defend well russ has fallen off a cliff they lack shooting at times as well guys like davis bertans has bertans is someone he's been rough to start the year and then he breaks out last night with a 35 35 point game so this seems just been extremely underwhelming I still don't think Scott Brooks is that good of a head coach and Bradley Beal's been stuck in a really crappy situation he's toughed it out he's balled out he's had tons of big scoring nights I love the way he shoots his three-point percentage isn't the best it's a little bit below the average but we know the degree of difficulty on the threes he takes is incredibly high he takes a lot of them off the dribble with guys in his face he does not get a ton of catch and shoot threes I also I think he's just a, a complete offensive player I love the way he attacks the basket too and I think he's I think he's been the best guard in the Eastern Conference this year. I really believe that's been Bradley Beal. So I think he deserves the first spot. Moving on to the second spot. I got Jalen Brown. Yes, I'm giving Jalen Brown the edge over Trey Young. And we'll go into why in a second. But let's talk about Brown first. Brown, 26 points per game, career high, 51% from the field, 41% from three. All careers highs for him, as well as the 3.4 assists. Boston is 14 and 14. But the only reason they're there is because they got the only reason this team's even 500, because we know they're light on depth. They have a lot of rookies and young guys playing for them is because of their two superstars. And I'm giving Jalen Brown the slight edge over Jason Tatum because I think Brown is an elite defender and a true two way player. He just does such an exceptional job on that side of the ball. And he's raised his offensive game up to the point where his play on defense, those two things are up to par with one another. I just am really impressed by Jalen Brown's maturation. Like I said, especially the shooting from deep. I never thought he was a 41% from deep guy. Love the way he attacks the basket too. He's dunking on guys, always finishing strong. The passion he plays with night in and night out. And I'm giving him the edge. So why Jalen Brown over a guy like Trey Young? I do like Trey, but also it's hard for me to ignore the fact that Trey Young is the worst defensive player in the NBA. He truly is the worst defensive player in the NBA versus at least Bradley Beal. I feel like he's not great, but he's not as bad as Trey Young. Also, when you're leading the league in scoring in terms of how Bradley Beal is with 33 points per game, I'm giving him the not edge. When you talk about Jalen Brown, he's not too far off in scoring from Trey Young. I, and I think Brown's a, still a really good offensive player. He's not Trey Young. He can't pass through it like Trey Young or shoot like Trey Young, but he's still a really good player. And the defense, especially, that's where I'm giving him the edge out because I know he's a more complete player player um so brown and beal that's the backcourt for me now moving on to the front court we got first up kevin durant 
What can you say? Coming back from the injury he's come back from, he hasn't missed a beat whatsoever. 29 points per game, 7 rebounds per game, 5 assists, 52% from the field, 43% from deep. They're second in the Eastern Conference. Man, Kevin Durant has been amazing to watch this year. Yes, he's dealt with some nagging injuries and stuff like that, but hasn't missed a beat. Still so tough to connect, contest his pull-up jumper. Just shoots with guys right in his face. Does not matter at all. Attacks the basket pretty well, too, when he decides to go at guys, throw down. Still maybe the most complete scorer in our game and one of the deadliest offensive weapons we've seen. If he was in a position like Bradley Beal where he got all the shots like that, I really think Kevin Durant might have a chance to average 35 points per game or something more incredible than 29 points per game considering the talent he has around him. So Kevin Durant's got to be an all-star. So impressed with how he's come back from injury. And I think he has reclaimed the title of second best player in the NBA from Kawhi Leonard and Giannis Antetokounmpo. Speaking of Giannis Antetokounmpo, yeah, he's my other starter in the front court. 28 points per game, 11 rebounds, 5.8 assists, and 56% from the field. They're the third seed in the Eastern Conference, which was a little disappointing, I guess, for the back-to-back -back one seed. But I still think Giannis has been really good this year. We know how deadly he is in transition. He's so good at finishing through contact with those long limbs and those massive strides he's able to take. He's not shooting it well from deep this year or even at the free throw line. Earlier, he had that one-for-10 game from the stripe this season. But he's still an unstoppable force. Defenses struggle so much to contain him, and you can't ignore the production Giannis has put up. The biggest thing for Giannis, the test will be when it comes to postseason time, playoff time. How will he elevate his game? But he's more than enough elevated his game to be an all-star still. And finally, the center spot. We got the front runner for MVP, in my opinion. Joel Embiid, 29 points per game, 10 rebounds per game, 54% from the field, 40% from deep. How about that? 40% from Embiid on four attempts, too. And the defensive impact is something you can't ignore either. He is a huge presence for them in the paint. He's gotten much better, too, Embiid has in guarding in space this season, I think. And we know he's one of the better rim protectors as well. He's led to this team to the number one seed. He's really imposed his will on offense. When he's back to the basket, he's so tough to contain. He can take guys off the dribble a little bit, hit some pull-up jumpers on him. And he's been spacing the floor. Like I said, there's not much else you can say about Joel Embiid. The best season of his career, this is the guy where, like, if he can stay healthy, Healthy, are we going to get this? And the answer is yes, he's staying healthy, and we're getting to see what a great player Joel Embiid is. So that's my Eastern Conference All-Stars. Just to recap, we got Bradley Beal, Jalen Brown, Kevin Durant, Yasin Skumpo, and Joel Embiid. The only guy I could see not making that group, honestly, is I think there's a chance Trey Young edges out one of those guys. It could be Jalen Brown, but I hope the fans and the media rewards Jalen Brown with his amazing play this season. Now, let's move on over to the West. So at the first backcourt spot, Steph Curry, another guy who's come back from injury and just has not missed a beat, putting up numbers very similar to his MVP seasons a few years ago. 30 points per game, 5 rebounds, 5.9 assists, 49% from the field, 43% from deep. So the reason I also included for field goal percent, he's 49.9%. So if he makes an extra three or two very soon, he will join the 50-40-90 club, a very exclusive club, which is always impressive when a player can get in there. Curry is the only reason the Warriors are seventh in the West. It's just amazing to watch when he's on, the way he runs off screen. He cuts so well to the basket. He finishes well. He's an amazing passer. And he's the greatest shooter we've ever seen. When he gets hot, no one on planet Earth can stop this man. So glad he's back healthy this year and absolutely deserves to be an all-star for the dazzling performances he's put on throughout the season. The other backcourt spot. This is the hardest one. It came down to Luka versus Damian Lillard. I am giving Damian Lillard the slight edge. Dame is averaging 29 points per game, 7.4 assists, 44% from the field, 38% from deep, carrying his team to fourth in the West, which I think is extremely impressive. Dame, he's such a great leader. He might be the clutchest guy in the NBA. 
He's tough driving to the hoop still. He always makes the timely buckets we know. He can shoot it so well from deep. His range is only matched by Steph Curry across the league. No, not the best defensively, but you got to reward the big-time play from Lillard. So why Dame over Luka? It's really close, but for me, it comes down to I think Dame has done a better job of carrying his team, making the right plays at the right time, and elevating guys. Luka's numbers are amazing, and you could not ignore them. And Luka's been on a really hot stretch lately that we'll get into. And it's undoubtedly that Luka is going to be an all-star. But I think you've got to reward Dame's leadership. He's gotten this team, like I said, to fourth in the Western Conference. He's put on big performance after big performance, closing out games. He's been super clutch. I just think the clutchness, the leadership, and the timely play has been the biggest difference for me. I'm giving Dame a slight edge over Luka. I, I have no gripes though if anyone has Luka in over Dame. I think it's that close. Next up, Kawhi Leonard, 29 points per game, 7.4 assists, 44% from the field, 38% from deep. He's helped get this team to fourth in the West, him and Paul George has. George started the season really hot, and then Kawhi's kind of returned and been like, no, this is still my team. Like I said, the 26 points per game, we know he's so deadly on offense. He's tough when he attacks the basket. He's maybe the best shooter from the mid-range in the NBA, so deadly there, and still an all-world defender when he decides to lock in on any given night. Got to reward Kawhi, and he is my third all-star in the West and my first of the front court. Joining him, the front court would be the guy who would be probably second, I believe, in the MVP race right now, LeBron James. Yes, year 17, doing incredible things as he continues to do. 25 points per game, 8.2 rebounds per game, 7.9 assists, 50% from the field, 37% from deep, and he has this Lakers team second in the West right now, doing a great job leading them. He's going to need to continue to do a great job leading them, considering they do not have Anthony Davis for a long stretch. But we'll get into that in a second. But LeBron, just amazing. Just no drop-off in production, despite how long he's been in the league. It's been so impressive to watch him just elevate his play, the guys around him. He's still one of the best passers in the game. His range has gotten better from deep, too. We've seen him take some deep threes and make some deep threes lately. So that's been really impressive to watch, too. I am such a huge fan of LeBron's game. I just think he's still the best player in the world. He continues to elevate his game and shows no signs of slowing down. Deserves to be an all-star. And finally, my last Western Conference all-star starter. We have Nikola Jokic, who I think is third in the MVP race right now. 27 points per game, 11.3 rebounds, 8.6 assists, 57% from the field, and 39% from deep. And absolutely carrying this Denver Nuggets team that has been has had some depth issues this year. Jamal Murray's been struggling. Michael Porter's been in and out. So impressed with the job Jokic has done being more aggressive scoring. He can truly score from all over the place. Back to the basket, uses those big shoulders just to back guys down, hit him with the jump hook. Footwork's really good too we love the turnaround little fadeaway derp like thing he does and he's such a good shooter from deep too he always makes the right plays you can't double him because he's the best passing center we've ever seen and he's absolutely deserving of this final all-star spot in the west and i hope he continues to play great and is maybe if his team wins a few more games he can even get higher in that mvp race and leapfrog lebron maybe get it even closer between the gap between him and Embiid. So, to wrap up the Western Conference All-Stars, just to recap, Steph Curry, Damian Lillard, Kawhi Leonard, LeBron James, Nikola Jokic. And like I said, I it's really close between Dame and Luka, but I'm giving Dame the slight edge there. So, be interesting to see what happens Thursday night, and it'll be interesting to see how this video ages for sure. So, that's going to do it for All-Star Talk, but we have a lot to talk about when it comes to the NBA. First, let's start out with the Anthony Davis injury and how it affects the Lakers. AD is going to be out two to three weeks with a calf strain. I'm very interested to see how this impacts not just the Lakers, but specifically LeBron and his minutes. For the season, LeBron has been averaging 34 minutes per game this year. In their win versus the Timberwolves, the first game they played without Anthony Davis, he averaged 38 minutes per game. 
he played 38 minutes per game, obviously a lot more and four more than what he's used to. And there's a, there, I think there is a huge difference over time from 34 to 38. LeBron was really good in this game. He had 30.7 assists, 13 of 20 from the field, three of four from deep. And the only missed three, as we know, was that awful logo shot he took at the end of the third quarter. So he still looked really good out there, but he had to expand a lot of energy still and really carry this team to a win against the Timberwolves team. That is the worst in the West. Now, I do think this, the Wolves team plays better without D'Angelo Russell. We saw Anthony Edwards have the best game of his career so far, having Carlton Towns back, too. That just makes the Wolves deadlier. The more time and experience a young Wolves team get, the better they're going to be. But that doesn't make a, a difference that it took a comeback win for the Lakers to beat the worst team in the Western Conference. So, we talked about LeBron. We know he's going to have to step up his minutes, unfortunately, and keep his elite play, MVP-level play, at a high point. But when we look at the others, Lakers, I think Dennis Schroeder, Montrezl Harrell, the obvious guys who continue to have to step up. But the big one for me is Kyle Kuzma. He's averaging 10 points per game on the rear on the year, six point rebounds, and he's been aggressive on defense, but he should be averaging more minutes. He only played 26 minutes in this last game. He should easily be playing 30 minutes. He should take hold of that starting power forward spot, be the guy they need to be aggressive, attacking the rim all offense. We know he's been shooting it pretty good from three this year as well, or can be a really good three point shooter. If he wants to continue to start, he's going to need to be with guys like Markeith Morris knocking down their wide open threes. I just think this is Kyle Kuzma. He's got to step up and make the most of these opportunities if he wants to elevate this Lakers team and make sure they can actually make a run at the one seat. So it'll be interesting to see how they do without Anthony Davis and how LeBron manages his minutes going forward. Next up, we're going to talk about Harden at point guard with the Nets and how well he's done so far. Since joining Brooklyn, Harden's averaged 24 points per game, 50% from the field, 40% from three, on seven attempts as well, just shooting the ball at a really elite high level. I think he's not forcing as many of the step backs. He's hit a couple of them. We saw him hit the clutch one versus Phoenix in their latest game that the Nets played. And now looking at it just overall for Harden, the thing I'm most impressed by him is the 11.8 assist, assist. He leads the NBA and he's just done such a good job. He is such a good law passer. He might be the best in the league. He's maximized DeAndre Jordan, Jeff Green, even a guy like Bruce Brown, that one of their young players who just comes in and plays as a super small ball center for this Brooklyn Nets team. So, so good there. And he's obviously so good at when he, once he penetrates the defense, kicking it out for the open three. And that's one of the things that makes the Nets so deadly is they do a good job of surrounding Harden with shooters. It's why they were able to make that huge comeback versus the Suns because they had the floor spread out with Tyler Johnson, Landry Shamit. We know what a deadly shooter Joe Harris is as well. These guys were all knocking down their trays and just making it very difficult for this Phoenix team to guard them. And we're going to get to the issue Phoenix has in a second, but I'm just so impressed with Harden at point guard. He's, oh, he's taken a step back from a scoring standpoint. He's done such a good job passing the ball. He's going to lead the NBA in assists this year. It's so fun to watch Harden as a point guard. He is going to continue to be effective too, and I look forward to seeing what he continues to do. I've always been a Harden fan, and I hated the way he handled the Houston situation. All on him, I really thought. I did not like that, but I really enjoy his play as a on the court and a 38-point-per-game performance against the Suns is so impressive. And let's talk about those Suns really quick. The Suns have been, started out a hot streak. They're fifth in the West, and they're really deep. Mikel Bridges has really impressed me as of early of the year. And the Chris Paul trade's been awesome. Booker's numbers are a little down, but this team is winning, which is the most important thing by far. So what, am I, what are the issues with the Suns, though, is DeAndre Ayton. Aiden's having a weird year. He's been very up and down, which is evident by the fact that he's averaging 13.8 points per game, his, the worst of his career in his three years in the league. But he's having a career best in every single other category. And the issue that popped out versus the Nets was the Nets went small and they used Jeff Green. Well, they were making sure to bring Jeff Green was running up and they were switching screens. every. They were setting a screen. 
Jeff Green was, James Harden would come off, and they'd force the switch. So DeAndre Ayton would, Ayton would get stuck on Jeff Green in space. And almost every single time, that would lead to a bucket for this Brooklyn Nets team. But they, the Suns did not want to adjust, and they left Green and they left Aiton in, which I don't think was a smart decision at all. If you're not going to feed the big guy in the post on offense, which they weren't, he's not going to help you on defense. If you're going to switch everything like that, you're going to leave him alone on an island with the deadliest guy, with one of the deadliest guys with the ball in his hands in today's NBA. It's a really tough cover, and we saw it was a really tough cover for him. He had trouble getting back in transition, so they had to scramble in defense, gave up some open threes. The guarding in space, he wasn't able to do it on Harden. So I just think if they get into a series with a guy like Luca, the Suns, are they going to have issues playing DeAndre Ayton? I honestly think they will and in come closing time and stretches of that game if they're going to just switch everything like they did and put him in some really tough positions. So I think more it's more than on Monte Williams, but it's just something that Phoenix is running into right now and an issue they're going to have to overcome. Now, moving on to one of my favorite players in the NBA, Zion Williamson. He has been really good this year. 24 points per game, 6.8 rebounds, 3 assists, 61% from the field. His shot is developing. He's hit some more threes as of late, and he's already, I think, he might be the best guy in terms of finishing through contact. Everyone knows he's going to score in the paint, but he continues to do it at will. He's so strong. Guys foul him. He gets and ones constantly. He is just plays bully ball out there, and he is so good at it. In fact, Zion, the reason I'm highlighting it now is Zion has really taken off in his last five games as the Pelicans are improving as well. In his last five games, Zion is at 36 points, 31 points, 26 points, 36 points, 29 points, and he had 36 once again last night. We're going to throw him that sixth game too. So he has been on a scoring tear right now. And like I said, teams know, hey, we can't let him score in the paint. Well, guess what? He continues to attack the basket, viciously throwing down dunks knocking guys out of the way on his way, leaving bodies on the floor. He's so physical and fun to watch. And I have been so impressed by his growth in just his second year. I, I just think he's phenomenal. I'm really excited to see what he continues to do. And we're definitely going to talk about him next week when we talk about my all-star reserves. So the other guy I want to highlight, Luka Doncic. He hasn't scored less than 25 in since February in his last five games, 42, 26, 28, 46, 44. We know he's an ex one of the best passers as well, just throwing different balls all over the place on an absolute rope to different guys. He's so gifted with the ball in his hands, and he's truly one of the best scorers we have in the NBA today. He is so much fun to watch when he gets hot. He has shaken off his slow start to the season and really gotten it going as of late. Next up, we've got to talk about that LaMelo versus Anthony Edwards game. LaMelo on the season has been averaging 20 points per game, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, or not averaging, sorry. LaMelo had 20 points per game in here, 11 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 steals. He was 8 of 15 from the field, and his team won 120 to 114. Anthony Edwards had 21 points per game, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, and he was less efficient, going 9 for 21 from the field. But the amount of times in this game where these guys did something where you're like, oh my gosh, the crazy pass, crazy athletic play they make, whether it, either way. I think these guys for a long time are going to be talking about like, oh, who should have gone one, who should have gone two, because I think both of them are going to continue to elevate their game and play big time ball. We've seen LaMelo over his last six games. I talked about him as my big takeaway last week. He has just been so good. Anthony Edwards had his best game of his career versus the Lakers when he had 28 rebounds, five assists, five rebounds, 28 points, five rebounds, five assists, 50% from the field. I thought he was really good in this game. I was just so impressed by Ant, both these guys, Ant and LaMelo, watching them go at it was so much fun because you're watching, you're going, huh? So that's the future. Both those guys, I think we're going to be talking about them for a long time to come. And I think we looked at this draft as being a week. I really think Edwards and LaMelo are going to be special. Also, because just because I'm highlighting this game, I mean, Terry Rozier at 41 in this game, absolutely balled out. So impressed by why. 
by what Rozier continues to do this season. He has been another guy that's been really good. But LaMelo and Ant, they're going to be fun to watch and talk about for a long time. Now, last guy specifically we're going to hit on is Ben Simmons. How about that 42 performance versus those Jazz? Nine rebounds, 12 assists as well. Yes, he lost, but I love Noah Embiid. He came out so aggressive. He attacked the basket early, Was getting did a good job of finishing some early buckets on Rudy. Whenever the Jazz would put Bogdanovich or Royce on him, he did a really good job taking him down to the paint, posting him up, hit him with the jump hooks. He's got a nice game when we're talking about his paint game. And we know what he brings as a defensive player and a passer. I am just so impressed by what Ben Simmons continues to do when he's the only guy like that. When he is the only one out there, we can really see the aggressiveness and the true player he can become. And it kind of makes you think when you're the Rockets, if you could have Ben Simmons, why do you not take Ben Simmons over a bunch of late round first draft picks? I just think that was a crazy, stupid move by them. So impressed by Simmons. I love his defensive passing already. He's one of the best perimeter defenders in the NBA, just flat out. I mean, watch the way he takes on Damian Lillard in their game against the Blazers last week. Just love Ben Simmons' game, the intensity he plays with when he is the only guy too. Very impressed by him. And you can't ignore the 42 points per game, 42 points he had in this game. So impressed. And finally, that leads us to our big takeaway. The Jazz have now won 20 of their last 21 games, and 18 of those wins are by double digits. And some of those come without Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell. The one that we were talking about against Ben Simmons, why they were able to do that was because the biggest part of that, in my opinion, probably was Jordan Clarkson going for 40. He hit eight threes. He's been a revelation for this team as a sixth man, and I think he's the front runner for sixth man of the year. But the big takeaway when it comes to the Jazz is I just this team is a real contender, honestly. I mean, if they can hold on to the one seed, let's look at this pass. They'll have two favorable matchups in the first round, both of which they'll host, they'll be the main team that hosts the playoff series. And that's going to be big for them because they actually do. They're one of the few teams with a home court advantage this year because of the lack of fans throughout NBA arenas. That's going to be a big advantage to this Utah Jazz team is having those fans for those playoff games. And then in the finals, they'll have the one seed. And then whether it's the Clippers somehow upset the Lakers, let's say, if in this scenario they hold on to the one seed or they got to beat the Lakers. Yeah, it's going to be really tough. But honestly, I do think this team can do it. It's it's at least a discussion now to me where I'm going to say, you know what? They are true contenders because I think in a seven-game series, if Mitchell elevates his play crazy, we see Rudy Gobert play unbelievable. There is a world where this team makes and can win an NBA championship this year. Going into the year, it's something I never thought I could say. And let's break down why that is. For me, the biggest reason has been Mike Conley. I just I thought he was done. I thought last year was a product, not of him adjusting, but just him being washed, basically. I just thought he wasn't good anymore. I thought the age and injuries had caught up to him, but that wasn't the case. It really was just an adjustment year. He's been so effective running pick and rolls with Rudy Gobert. He's able to play on or off the ball, depending on how hot Donovan Mitchell is on a given night. He's been shooting it really well from deep. This whole Jazz team has been knocking down their threes. Royce O'Neal is, is way over 40% at three, which is something I didn't think he was capable of. And that's kind of the thing with this Jazz team. It's a lot. It's things I didn't think they were capable of doing, and they've all excelled at them. So, so impressed by what they continue to do. Joe Ingles, the pick and roll stuff with Rudy Gobert has just been so impactful. Ingles is so much fun to watch when he runs pick when he runs pick and roll stuff with Gobert. It's great to see. He is such an ex- exceptional float, floater guy, great at faking that pass, too. Love to watch it when he's going to work down there, when Joe's going at dudes. 
Bogdanovich has been a little better lately for them. Derek Favors does not provides less of a drop off than let's say a Tony Bradley did when you're talking about coming in for Gobert. And Gobert is still the front runner for defensive player of the year to me. Ben Simmons is making it close, but you got to give it to the edge to Gobert, who's helped this team have the number one seed in the NBA. And Donovan Mitchell has been up. He's had some great games, and then he's had some where he struggled a little bit and been cold, but he's still averaging a career best 24 points per game. We know he can attack the rim, and when he gets hot from three, he's very deadly. He's also shooting it really well on catch and shoot threes this season. So really impressed by what Donovan Mitchell Mike Conley, Rudy Gobert, the job Quinn Snyder's done. He's he right now has got to be the front runner for coach of the year. The Jazz have just been the best team in the NBA in the regular season so far. They've also done a good job navigating this tough stretch of games they've been on, beating teams like the Heat. Yes, they just lost to the Clippers, but we've seen this Clippers team catch them on. Maybe you catch them lightly. They didn't have Kawhi or PG. I'm not reading as much into that as I am some of these other big wins they've had, like the ones versus the Sixers and the Heat. So either way, I've just been so impressed by this Jazz team. They've done a great job this year, and they are true contenders. So that's going to do it for this edition of the From the Stands podcast. Thank you guys so much, as always, for listening. I'll be back next week talking about the, who the all-star reserves should be and reacting if I missed, if I think there was some egregious snub on the starters. Let's say I will not be happy if Trey Young is in over Jalen Brown. That's a personal thing. Luca Dame, yeah, like I said, that one's flip-flopable. I don't care either way on that one. But the one with Trey Young, if he's in over Jalen, no. I will not be a happy camper, but I am a happy camper that you guys listen to all th- that. For those of you who listen to this 36 minute podcast, thank you so much as always signing off.